When life happens, plans need to change. Shaping Change, hosted by certified financial planner Ross Marino, is dedicated to helping financial advisors better serve their clients when life takes those unexpected turns. Welcome to the Shaping Change Show. Today, I am joined by Molly Pruce, founder of VistaLink Solutions. Hi, Molly. Hi, Ross. How are you? I'm doing well, and I see wonderful green trees behind you. You're somewhere in the Midwest? I am. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, let's get started with your background and what you're doing, because you have a lot of value you bring to financial planners, and, and you really understand an area that we have to know more about. Yes. Hi, I'm a gerontologist. Uh, so I have an expertise around the social, emotional, physical, biological um, components of aging. I've helped families um, and older adults for about 25 years navigating long-term care and finding support and services. Um, but my, one of my most important roles was as a caregiver to my mother for um, the last 10 years of her life. So I really got to experience aging through her lens and caregiving through my own experience. Um, I founded VistaLink uh, Solutions in 2007, in essence, to move age forward um, because we really have a, a viewpoint of aging that doesn't always serve us well. Um, so we offer cutting edge seminars that help people reimagine what older age can be and also that helps empower uh, family caregivers. Well, I have some experience with caregiving and, and that's one of the things in life that you could describe it to me, but I won't get it until I actually do it. It's and that's just not one of those areas. Yeah, that's not uncommon. It's a very, um, you know, in all the years that I've been working with families, there are never two cases or two situations that are exactly the same. You have family dynamics, you have, you know, illness or disease, you have a different set of circumstances financially. And so all of it is very complex and, and plays into an experience of caregiving and, and aging. I remember the early years and, and recall the, the disruptions and the change in plans and expectations, this will happen, but then that happens. And, and I remember finding myself saying to friends, you know, I couldn't make this stuff up because it, everything would get so complex and, and you find the pressure and the disruption from that. And you just walk around shaking your head sometime, just thinking this is pretty crazy, but uh, you know, this is the day. So onward, we have to move. Is that pretty normal? It is. It's, it's almost as if you're on call 24 seven um, because you know, people can have falls or they can have diagnosis or, or you know, physical, emotional needs that just demand your time. And you know, when we think about you know, the, the modern caregiver today, somebody who's already working 20 plus hours a week in a job and you know, as employed and also you know, someone who is um, managing their families, it's, it's, it's a very high, you know, fast paced uh, role that, that people can find themselves in. And you really have to find ways to step back and, 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 and take care of yourself because it has a real um, uh, physical toll an emotional toll on people. So it is very, very uh, typical to be just, you know, running around with your head down, just trying to get through the day. Yeah, I think as financial planners, it's something we have to learn and understand because many of our clients will be in that caregiver role. And if we don't have insight into the overwhelm and the stress and the pressure, we may have normal meetings with them and talk about goals and talk about different things, not realizing that there isn't any capacity there. Their, their decision bank of the day 
was already cooked. And, and that stress of 24 seven really limits thinking about the future and a lot of things. And I'd imagine I've had conversations that are, are downright insensitive because I just didn't understand the position that person was in. Hey, how can we better understand what's going on? Well, I would say the number one thing is to ask, you know, it isn't impolite to ask, you know, how are you doing? What is going on in your, you know, day to day? Um, you know, how are your parents? How is your spouse? People are making choices that really impact their financial well-being. Um, and, and it often isn't good. They'll, they'll leave their job. They'll go down to part-time employment. And, you know, all of that has a, has a ripple effect over their financial health and well-being, you know, their own retirement. If, they, if a, a person decides to, to go down from part-time work, they're, they're leaving a lot of benefits and, and contributions to Social Security on the table that they might need later on in life. So it's important to ask and it's not impolite to, to sort of delve into you know, what's going on in their world and what is their thought process around the level of stress they're under, you know, what choices can they make? Bringing in services you know, at X amount of dollars a day might seem like a lot upfront, but again, over time, if somebody is you know, gonna be needing retirement you know, uh, funds later on, they, they want to make sure that they're, they're analyzing that correctly. So I think number one is to ask and, and to, you know, and to also provide, um, you know, educational programming to your uh, clients that they understand the implications and, and what resources might be available that they can help lighten their load. Yeah, that's certainly a concern. I know a lot of our, our clients, if you're a typical financial planner, you tend to meet them at whatever age you are. So a 40-year-old financial planner may have a lot of 40 and maybe 50-year-old clients, you know, maybe five, 10 years older. So as you mature in this business, you find out that all of a sudden, it seems like the majority of your clients are taking care of a parent or a parent passed away and they're, they're thrust into a level where they have to make I don't want to say sacrifices because it sounds like it sounds negative. I would just say concessions. You, you have these trade-offs of, okay, I have to do this, but I have to, I have to bypass that and not do that anymore. And uh, that can change on the dime. And that's just got to be a lot of stress for everybody. It is a lot of stress. And I, I really appreciate your point, Ross, that, um, you know, there is a lot of joy. There's a lot of reward. There's a lot of, um, there's an upside to caregiving. One of my favorite quotes of all time is to age is to live to care is to be human. I mean, it is part of our human journey to care for one another. We're not islands, uh, you know, amongst ourselves or, and we really do have to find ways to um, reframe it, to see the, the joy and the, and the culmination of, a, you know, of love and commitment to each other. Um, at the same time, we have to be practical and we have to find ways to, um, to do it well. And um, I think we have some big questions as a um, society and as a country to look at how can we better support family caregivers. Um, this past year, because of the pandemic, 2.5 million women in particular have left the workforce due to their caregiving responsibilities. And never before have employers seen into the homes of their employees more than now because of you know, Zoom calls and Zoom meetings and you're, you know, you're watching you know, your employees try to manage not only their young children, but maybe a, a parent who might be living with them as well. And so it's really important that as a whole, we have conversations around, you know, what does caregiving mean and how can we better support, you know, those who are caring for aging because our infrastructure is very uh, fragmented. 
you know, finding support and services is not easy. You, you need to be an expert in almost every facet of life in order to properly guide your loved one um, and get them the support that they need. So I think it's important that we really look at how, how are we viewing caregiving? There's 48, over 48 million of us, you know? So, and that's really, I think on the low side, I think there's a lot of people that don't report as a caregiver because they're a son, they're a daughter, they're a niece, they're a nephew, they're a neighbor. But if you have an elder on your radar, even if it's cutting their grass once a week or, you know, taking them to the doctor periodically, you're still a caregiver, you know, and it just varies at the level. So you talk about the paradigm of health and wealth and how we try to balance the two and how that changes over time. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, so the health wealth paradigm really is, you know, when we look at how we um, accumulate our wealth, it's usually in our younger years and maybe, you know, some might say our healthier years. And so we spend all this time, you know, accumulating our wealth. And then as we get older and we retire, we spend a lot of our time um, in later life protecting that wealth from the adverse effects of, uh, or the, you know, adverse health. So as we age, we're looking to spend money on certain things, but we're also looking to save money. And I recently posed the question of, is a personal trainer an expense or is it an investment? And I'm trying to wrap my head around, how do we look at how I spend money on myself where it's going to improve my health and quality of life? And how do I figure out what's an expense versus what's an investment? How would you approach that? Well, I think you have to look at, I'm a big looker. I, I like to look at trends. And, and unfortunately, we have a trend in this country um, of chronic disease. You know, people are living, um, you know, I think it's 80% of people are living, over 65 are living with at least one chronic disease and 70% have two. And, you know, while you might be able to manage your heart disease or your diabetes over time, you know, that really does wear on all the other systems in your body. So I think it's looking, you know, taking, if we could take 10 steps back before 65 and say, what kind of things can we put in place for ourselves that would help, you know, ward off, uh, you know, the chronic disease paradigm, I think that would be more of an investment than, you know, an expense. Because I think overall, if you have a better, um, you know, if you have better health going into your later years, you actually have a better chance of having a better experience of aging. Well, if you're going to say the question, what could I do before age 65? I guess I got to make that my next question. So what can I do before age 65? Oh my goodness. Well, that is a loaded question um, because there's so much you can do. You know, we have, um, we have a, um, there's schools of thought that there's social, certain social determinants that um, help you to age or to live better. And those social determinants would be, you know, housing, transportation, food, you know, the things that you need to really live and exist in our world. And those social factors really um, can have an impact on your health. If they're, you know, if they're in good, if you're in good shape in those areas, and that has a, you know, a good impact on your health, the personal determinants, which are more the softer skills, they might say, they might say um, which is sort of your passion and your purpose, those help to, to sort of bolster um, what we call resilience. And that's where you have the adaptability to handle the adversities in life. And so if I were, you know, 
say at age 55 or, you know, 45, I'd start thinking about, you know, what do I need and, you know, to build around me so that I protect myself from any external factors that might impact my housing, my transportation, my food insecurity? Do I need to eat well? Do I need to think about the types of food and, and you know, what I have um, around me to support me in my health? But then also looking at, you know, what is my passion and purpose and how can I um, build upon that over time? Because things change. You know, our health, our, our you know, well-being, it, it is changing. And we go through um, peaks and valleys sometimes. So it's, it's really about how do we, you know, ride that in an intentional way. So that's, you know, my thoughts. So you listed the, the social determinants. Um, how do you align that with financial needs? Is there a way to connect those and prioritize? So if you think about, you know, somebody who might be um, looking at their, um, you know, parent, for instance, and what are the things that a, a person might need? And, and you know, you, gotta, you have to figure, you know, housing for elders is really expensive. And, you know, you have to look at, you know, whether it's, it's financially more, you know, sound to, you know, modify a home and stay in a home, um, an age in place, as they call it, or looking at alternative living is that, you know, and, and those factors really have a, a huge financial component to that, along with, you know, transportation and access to healthcare. You know, the more um, affluent people are, the, you know, typically the better healthcare access they have and they can self-determine how their, you know, needs are being met. So I know the social part is really important. Uh, I have experiences with clients who are widowed and you see the challenges and they'll share the challenges. It's such a change. And uh, I think initially I didn't understand how significant that would be when, if you're in a group of four married couples and all of a sudden you're a widow, I would think, well, aren't those still your friends until you hear the stories? And yes, they are your friends, but you just don't seem to be involved as much as you used to be. And it seems like you have to be way more intentional as you age to fill these needs and it just becomes more challenging. You know, that is such an astute um, observation. It, it is hard, um, you know, we identify ourselves in, in terms of what we're able to do. And so we often don't know how to, um, you know, or it's more difficult to recognize when we need to readjust our thinking um, and, and stay positive. You know, the personal determinants um, that there's a whole body of research around these and they're pretty much, you know, three buckets, purpose, you know, possibility, or I call it optimism and people and really aligning, you know, yourself and thinking that, you know, how can I maintain a sense of purpose, even when things around me are changing, you know, how do I keep myself optimistic as I'm facing challenges or losses in, in later life can be a time of, of significant losses, changes and losses. And then how do I surround myself with people, you know, and how do I remain connected with people in a circumstance like that? You know, someone who becomes very isolated, the health effects of um, isolation, you know, triggers depression. And there's even been links to depression and Alzheimer's. So, I mean, it's pretty serious. And so it's important you know, people often think, oh, just get over it. You know, oh, it'll, it'll pass. Well, it, it really takes an intentional um, 
a mindset sometimes to get through some of the challenges. I remember someone telling me uh, who, who was a widow that they had gone to a place where they normally ate. And now that they're a widow, they would sometimes go there and just eat by themselves. And the married couples on the way in would come over and say hi and say, how are you doing? And then they would go and sit down. And I remember the person saying, but of course they never invite me to come and sit with them and have dinner. And I, I mean, I feel that in my stomach. And I, I remember oh. thinking, why? I, mean, I don't, it was bizarre to me. If this was a friend of yours and you were in the circles, what's the big deal? Why wouldn't you just invite them? Uh, but, but this, I guess, is, is kind of common. It is common. I'm hoping that over time it gets less common because we really do need to realize that we're all in this together. And, um, you know, our country, I often say this, our country was founded on this sense of independence. Independence, independence, this, it runs deep, deep, deep in our psyche. And we're not sure what to do with the concept of interdependence. You know, it's often um, you either are independent or you're dependent. And neither one is, is fulfilling enough, I don't believe. So I think if we could sort of shift our focus to the fact that, again, it goes back to that quote, you know, it, it's, there's an interdependence in our lives and we need to um, recognize that by allowing someone to be vulnerable and to be dependent gives us an opportunity to help them. And that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. And so we just, I think, have to maybe take a step back and recognize that we're all going through something and we're all only a minute or an hour or a day or a month or whenever away from experiencing something. So we really need to be more empathetic and more, you know, more attuned to each other. That may have been the best nugget I've ever heard from you, which is we're independent or we're dependent and independence is great and dependent, who wants to be dependent? I mean, how un-American is that? Right. I can take care of myself. It's horrible. I mean, we have a whole celebration every year around independence with fireworks and celebrations. And I, you know, I understand why we do that, but, but really when you take a step back and see how much that impacts the way we are with one another, the way we are with ourselves, allowing ourselves to be dependent, you know, allowing ourselves to be dependent. We have, you know, I'm sure you've had plenty of clients. I've had plenty of clients who want to go down with the ship. <laughs> they do not want to be dependent for one second, um, but that's not reality. We, we will need help at some point in our lives for something. So well, one of our most common goals that we hear from clients is I don't want to be a burden to my kids, which I think is the same way of saying, I don't want to be dependent on my kids. It's, it's just not something we want to do, but we're going to be dependent on people and services one way or another. There's just no way around that. Well, I like to think of it as this way. And when I'm talking with clients, I will say, or working through my workshops, I will say, you know, think about it. It's not being dependent on your children. It's, it's again, this concept of interdependence. What can, what do you bring to the table? Sure. You might need to drive, you know, you might need a ride to the doctor. You might actually even need to move in with your family, but but you still are a, a being that can contribute. And what, what is it that you can contribute to your own family? I mean, I've had wonderful examples of, you know, where um, elders will, will mentor the teenagers in the house. And the teenagers really responded because it's not the parent, it's the grandparent. And so that there's this wonderful um, give and take between the two generations. So there's ways that 
yes, we will all need the help of others, but there's other ways that we can sort of be a part of the circle as well. And we're not just being, it's not a passive role. I just had a conversation with someone who is in their 70s and used Uber for the first time. And <laughs> she was so excited. The, the freedom has been unleashed to her and she saw it and just absolutely loved it, was, was really happy. There's a lot of tech that's coming that's helping people, I think in some ways be less dependent. Where do you think this is going with the technology? Oh boy, sky is the limit. I mean, it really is the technology age for aging. Um, there are, you know, obviously ride sharing. There are um, ways, I mean, right now there are, there are tests being done um, where robots will come in and do um, outpatient surgery in your own living room. You know, so then you don't have to go into the hospital, risk infection, end up, you know, somewhere in a nursing home for weeks on end trying to recover. I mean, you know, from a medical standpoint, there's so much technology. Um, there are, you know, sensors that you can have instead of the med medical alert bracelets, you can have, which nobody ever wants to wear, the necklaces around their neck. You know, there are ways that you can install um, sensors in a loved one's home and it just monitors their, act, their, their movements. So it's not like a camera where you're actually watching them, but it just senses mom got out of bed. She went, you know, into the bathroom, she came out, she went and had her breakfast, but if all of a sudden she hasn't moved in three hours or, you know, however much time you want to set something, you know, it'll be, you'll be alerted to know that someone has not been, you know, active and that there might be an issue. Um, you know, it, it really is, and it, it's, there's so much going on in terms of um, innovation and, and it will really allow people to have um, so much more self-determination instead of, we won't call it independence, but self-determination and being able to, you know, have some um, safety and security while they're um, living, you know, by themselves or living um, in their later years. Well, let's go to our final question. It's always the same. It is yeah. the magic wand. And I know you are a, a passionate professional and I know there's things you wish for, but you only get one wish, Molly. So if you can wave the wand, what's it gonna be? Oh gosh, that one is so, um, so easy. I think about it every single day. And I would um, wave the magic wand and change the way we view aging and later life. I would make it, um, you know, possible that elders are looked up to and revered and that we would be as a society that values and integrates elders um, into our um, everyday lives and not just when they need us, um, but also look at, you know, later life as the, the you know, the reaping of, you know, all the, the seeds that we planted through our lives. It's, it's a time of creativity and possibility and, um, and, and being able to um, see that, I think sadly, our current view of aging becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I would say if we could really, um, as a society, take a step back, not be so youth focused um, and really look at later life as, as really a great and powerful time. That would be a wonderful thing. Great way yeah. to close. Molly Proust, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Ross, so much. It was wonderful. Thank you for listening to Shaping Change with Ross Marino. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. 
Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results. Visit rlsummit.com to learn more.